You are listening to the sermon audio of New Hope Community Church in Canaan, New Hampshire. For more information, visit our website at newhopecommunity.net. O Lord, do not rebuke me in your anger or discipline me in your wrath, for your arrows have pierced me and your hand has come down upon me. Because of your wrath, there is no health in my body. My bones have no soundness because of my sin. My guilt has overwhelmed me like a burden too heavy to bear. My wounds fester and are loathsome because of my sinful folly. I am bowed down and brought very low. All day long, I go about mourning. My back is filled with searing pain. There is no health in my body. I am feeble and utterly crushed. I groan in anguish of heart. All my longings lie open before you, O Lord. My sighing is not hidden from you. My heart pounds, my strength fails me. Even the light has gone from my eyes. My friends and companions avoid me because of my wounds. My neighbors stay far away. Those who seek my life set their traps. Those who would harm me talk of my ruin. All day long they plot deception. I am like a deaf man, one who cannot hear, like a mute who cannot open his mouth. I become like a man who does not hear, whose mouth can offer no reply. I wait for you, O Lord. You will answer, O Lord my God. For I said, do not let them gloat or exalt themselves over me when my foot slips. For I am about to fall, and my pain is ever with me. I confess my iniquity. I am troubled by my sin. Many are those who are my vigorous enemies. Those who hate me without reason are numerous. Those who repay my good with evil slander me when I pursue what is good. O Lord, do not forsake me. Be not far from me, O my God. Come quickly to help me, O Lord, my Savior. Why don't you think for a moment how you'd react if another Christian you knew sort of confided to you and said this to you. If they said to you, you know what, when I look into my heart, I see wickedness that is as deep as hell. I kind of think most of us would maybe be a little concerned. We might want to say to that person, you know, maybe you should get some counseling. We might jump to the conclusion that they're just being pessimistic. And we might respond quickly and say, no, no, you're a good person. Uh, You know, everything like that. If you felt that you might want to try to correct someone who said that, that's actually the very confession that Jonathan Edwards, who's considered one of the greatest American theologians and philosophers, said about himself during the height of the Great Awakening. And so it kind of reminds us here, is that a healthy attitude? Is there a right balance where we should be able to say, you know what, when I look in my heart, even as a believer, I can say there there is really a wickedness there that is as deep as hell. In other words, if we're finding that somewhat uncomfortable, is that indicating more that God has changed and we should no longer see ourselves that way, or that our culture has sometimes given us an elevated view of ourselves that even we as Christians 
sometimes incorporate into our thinking. And so we're, we're looking at what a gospel-shaped life looks like. Last week, we focused on the fact that it should be marked by a growing desire to magnify the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and this morning, I'd like us to look at a second mark, and that is a growing awareness of sin and a spirit of repentance. That the second mark that all of us should be thinking about is do we have a growing awareness of sin and a spirit of repentance? Uh, and as the, the back and foundation of that, I want to give you a definition of repentance to keep in mind. Because we might be thinking of lots of different things, like is repentance just something verbal? You know, saying, I'm sorry, God, or acknowledging a fault and then just getting on with your day. So if you are taking notes, you can write down this definition of repentance. Repentance is a grace of God's spirit. Repentance is a grace of God's spirit whereby a sinner is inwardly humbled and outwardly changed. So I'll repeat that. Repentance is a grace of God's spirit whereby a sinner is inwardly humbled and outwardly changed. And you want to keep that before you as we kind of look this morning at what is repentance and what does it mean to be honest and say, God, there, there still is and there are times where I sin and I need to deal with that in a way that is a mark of a gospel-shaped life. And so we're going to look at three areas of sin this morning. First, just simply the reproach of sin. Uh, the reproach of sin, the repercussions of sin, and then the restoration from sin. So the reproach of sin, the repercussions of sin, and then the restoration from sin. Uh, and so the reason I had you read Psalm 38 is you may have noticed it's a Psalm of David, uh, but it's one of seven penitential Psalms. In other words, Psalms that specifically focus on confession of sin. Uh, and so with that in mind, let's kind of look at first what this psalm tells us about the reproach of sin. Uh, and so if you agree that today we tend to take sin probably too lightly, not, not just in our culture, but I want to bring it closer to home, is there a tendency in many churches, even among many Christians, to not take sin as seriously as we should. In other words, that we adopt the perspective of looking at sin incorrectly from a self-centered perspective. Uh, and we, we tend to use euphemisms for sin. Things like, I know I should be doing that, but, but I just, I'm just not good at that. Or we say things like, well, that's just a bad habit I have rather than maybe directly calling it a sin. Uh, we speak often today, you know, of addictions. And sometimes people use the term addictions loosely for just a sinful behavior. And we want to recognize the roots of what is true addiction that needs to be dealt with physiologically and physically, 
but, but too many times I think we excuse and we don't catch, what does it mean to speak of the reproach of sin? So in other words, if we view sin from a self-centered perspective, we just view it from how it makes me feel. So I don't feel good when I do that. So I, I do want to deal with that because I, I don't like feeling guilty. And so rather than looking at sin from a self-centered, a self-reverential perspective, you'll notice this psalm defines sin from God's perspective. In other words, sin is a reproach against God. It's, as the Westminster Confession put it, it it's failing to conform to the law of God. Uh, Wayne Grudem, a contemporary theologian, even defines it a little more than that. He says, sin is any act in word, thought, or deed that goes against God's character or his work. So that brings it more directly to sin as being an a reproach against God. Uh, and to, to work this out, I want to draw your attention in Psalm 38, just to the use of different titles for God that appear in this psalm, which right away say to us, the issue of sin is it's against God. It has a broader impact. It affects us, as we'll see. It affects relationships around you. But first and foremost, to have a true growing awareness of sin and a spirit of repentance requires we see sin first and foremost as against God. So you notice in this psalm, verse 1 speaks of, O Lord. So in your translations, you know by now, capitalize the name Yahweh, the covenant-keeping name of God. You see that mentioned as well in verse 15 and verse 21. But then you'll notice as well in verse 9, you have, O Lord. And so here's another reference to God, but this time the title Adon or Adonaiah used instead of Yahweh. So again, reminding us here, speaking of it's an affront to God, but just giving us that fuller picture of God's character by drawing on his other titles. And you see that use in verse 9. Then you'll notice in verse 15, you have Yahweh again, O Lord. But then it says, O Lord, my God. So once again, using the reference to Adon or Adoniah, but the word God there is Elohim. So broadening the reminder of God's full character. He is Yahweh. He is Adon or Adoniah, and he is Adoniah Elohim. And you see the titles combined as well in verse 21, Yahweh, O Elohim, and then in verse 22, O Adonai, my Savior. So you can't lose sight of how throughout many, all the Psalms, really, but in particular the penitential Psalms, Sin is, sin is viewed from the perspective of you and God. Uh, it reminds you probably of Psalm 51, where we do know Psalm 51, the context is David's sin with Bathsheba. Remember his arranging of the murder of Uriah. And there in that Psalm, no one would question these sins had 
ramifications for others. But David clearly says, it is against you and you only that I have sinned. So David saw that connection, that, that sin is not conforming, not obeying to God's clear instructions and standard. And so that says to you and to me, unlike our culture, which wants to excuse actions to make different people a victim of their circumstances, to maybe speak more of just uh, lack of judgment that they had for a moment, that, that we need to not fall prey in defining sin so loosely or to water it down. So rather than maybe being kind of taken back by hearing a Christian say, you know what, when I look in my heart, I see a wickedness that is as deep as hell, that we would not be repulsed by that, but rejoice because we should all see that in ourselves. That apart from Christ, that, that wickedness would manifest itself, that we would be in bondage to that, but that has been broken through Jesus Christ. But the presence of a sinful nature, the, the battle against sin remains in our lives. And so that shows us in Psalm 38, the reproach of sin. It is against God. Maybe we should use different words that sin is treason against God. It is directly doing this in the face of God and saying, I don't care. I, I don't want to listen and I don't want to do that. Perhaps that would get our attention more when we think about disobedience. But the second area we want to look at is the repercussions of sin. Uh, we don't know the exact circumstances surrounding this psalm. So there are psalms that we know some specific details about as to what was happening in the life of the writer, or in this case, in the life of David. For Psalm 38, there's speculation. It was around the same time as Psalm 51 was written. But we don't know that for certain. But we can say with certainty that this psalm reminds us of the effects of sin, that if sin is left unchecked and unconfessed, it will have a destructive force in a person's life. Whether that be manifested in this present life fully or definitely in standing before God, but it will have an effect. There will be repercussions of sin. And so you'll notice in verse 3 of Psalm 38, the first repercussion that's talked about here is in the realm of sin and your relationship with God. And, and even though we might not sometimes perceive this, because all of us, I'm sure, have sinned and then been convicted of it immediately, maybe much later, and we've kind of not been aware, but it does impact your own relationship with God. And, and we're speaking here in particular of a believer and sin in their life. And so you notice in verse 3, it says, clearly your wrath has created this issue of no health in my body. My bones have no soundness because of my sin. Uh, and here's where we want to do some balancing with other scripture to realize physical illness can sometimes be God's judgment on unconfessed sin in our life, but it is not always. 
And so when you come to this text, the question is, is David focusing on some physical problem he's having, which could be possible, or is he using this metaphorically to speak of the consequences of how his unconfessed sin has affected his relationship with God? Because in verse 3, when it speaks of health in my body, this is a little misleading because it may immediately kind of direct you toward physical illness. But, but the word health here simply refers to totality. So he's talking about something that is totally consuming him. And that may not be physical because he speaks of he has no soundness because of my sin. Now, the word soundness there is the Hebrew word shalom, which does not just emphasize physically how you're doing, but, but the entire condition of your heart, mind, soul, emotions, and body. So it's a very broad term, which, which I lean toward the psalmist here, David, telling us of how this sin has affected him spiritually and in his walk with God. Because you notice, you go on in verse 4, he speaks of guilt. My, my guilt has overwhelmed me. Uh, this burden is too heavy for me to carry. goes on and talks about my wounds and, and gives you a very graphic picture of how this unconfessed sin, whatever it might be, is taking a toll on him. Now, we might argue sometimes, well, you know, even for David, it took a while for him to sometimes sense conviction and to demonstrate a spirit of repentance. But I think what you want to look at here is when David repents, when he displays the grace of God's spirit that inwardly humbles him and is evidenced by an outward change, that that's a picture that should mark us. We don't just have a, a healthy understanding of sin as it's a reproach, but we're starting to grasp the repercussions of what this does in terms of you and me in our personal relationship with God through Christ. Notice in verse 6, he says, I am bowed down, brought low, all day long I go about mourning. Bow down, as you probably guess, means I am, I am humbled by this. And, and certainly the presence and reality of sin in our life, the things that we might struggle with, the areas of disobedience that we are very much aware of in our life, humble us and remind us of our need to depend on Christ. Continually, not just for our salvation. Because I think sometimes there is a, a misconception that repentance is something you did when you acknowledge Christ as Savior and Lord. And so you do that once, and then you're done with that. Whereas, from the perspective of Scripture, repentance is to be a daily activity in our lives. A continual part of our relationship with Lord. So when you think of David here confessing his sins, these repercussions, he looks at them from the perspective of first and foremost his relationship with God. Now, a reminder for all of us in Christ, your position in Christ will never change. 
If you acknowledge him as Lord and Savior, you are his child. Your salvation is secure. But what sin does affect is your fellowship and communion with God. It doesn't change your position, because that's by grace. That's through faith. But it will affect your closeness to God, your, your ability to read his word and properly understand it and apply it, uh, the sense in which you feel that your prayers are, are being effectual, uh, even your desire to pray, your desire to read the word of God. If there's any sin in your life, it is going to make that so much harder for you to do. And that's to remind all of us, you know, you might be thinking, well, there's nothing major in my life. I'm not committing this act. I'm not committing that act. But the reality is there's still a sin in you and in me, in our thoughts, in our attitudes. And, and let's not fool ourselves and think somehow that can be there unchecked and not be affecting to some degree your relationship with God. But David, as he continues in this psalm, shows us that when you think of the repercussions of sin, that sin affects and alters relationships around us. And so you notice in verses 11 and 12, he speaks of, my friends and my companions avoid me because of my wounds. And clearly we're not sure exactly, what does he mean by this? Is it that they're keeping away from him because of his resistance to God in this area? Uh, are they keeping away because they're guarding themselves against being susceptible to what David has fallen into? But it is very evident that sin has affected now other relationships in the psalmist's life. And so if we're finding sometimes our relationship with other Christians is distant, uh, we need to ask ourselves, what might be going on in me that is promoting that? But what areas of sin in my life may be affecting now how I deal with other people? And this is clearly where we can think of bitterness can come in, unforgiveness can come in, unchecked sin in us, even concealed and hidden to the best of our abilities from others, is going to manifest itself in one form or another in our relationship with others or our lack of relationship with others in the body of Christ. David speaks as well in verse 12, those who seek my life set their traps, those who would harm me talk of my ruin, all day long they plot their deception. So you've got numerous relationships that are displaying the effect of sin that David's not dealing with. And I remind you in 1 Corinthians 5, Paul does tell believers in Corinth that if you have a Christian who's living in open defiance in their life of God, that you were not to associate with them. There would be the example of how as a, as a growing Christian, we pull back at times from certain individuals who are refusing to deal with sin in their life a clear evidence that walking in holiness can affect as well 
one's relationships with others. And so there can be people spiritually destructive that we are to pull back from as we seek to walk in holiness with God. So we've seen, as a recap, um, the reproach of sin, that falling into our culture's definition of what sin is or isn't. Uh, we've looked at the repercussions of sin, but now we've got to look at the restoration from sin. Because clearly, if I asked all of you to raise your hand, have you sinned this week in thought, in attitude, or action? The answer would be yes, for all of us. So what, what is the, the remedy? What is the path you should take when that happens? Because we're saying the mark of a gospel-shaped life is a growing awareness of sin and a spirit of repentance. And so let's look at really what we see in, in this psalm. Uh, in Psalm 38, again, look at verses 4 and 5. And I hope to kind of show here that repentance is a work of God's Spirit. So this is not a Bible study that should leave you saying, all right, this week I'm going to try harder to repent. Yeah, I'm just going to repeat that every, every few minutes. I got to repent. I got to repent. This is not a work that you do. It is a work that God's Spirit does in you and through you. So the first thing we see in verses 4 and 5 is with sin, uh, own it. You know, own it and confess it. Not rocket science, but we all hate to do that. We, we all hate to admit in little things sometimes we're wrong with directions, with a comment someone said to us. Uh, we, we don't like that. It's, and that's our sinful nature just coming to the surface. And so we shouldn't think it's any different when it comes to sin. Because you notice in those verse, verses 4 and 5, David says, my guilt. Doesn't say, God, you know, I'm a victim of this. Uh, you know, look at the circumstances around me. Anybody would have done it. You know, it's not my fault, but I'm sorry. He says, it's, it's my guilt. It's, it's my wounds. And in verse 5, he says, it's my sinful folly. Uh, the word folly there is the same word you see in Proverbs. Uh, I'm a fool. I did not demonstrate moral and spiritual excellence. I actually displayed the opposite when I did this, when I thought this, when I said that. But what a way to, to say to us, you, you've got to own your sin. And, and not just own it, but then confess it to God. And so typical of many of the Psalms, you almost feel like there's a, there's a wrestling through the Psalm as this is processed before God. Because as you get to verse 18, notice there you have, I confess my iniquity. I, I announce it to you. I, I verbalize it to you. Not as if God needed to hear it because he didn't know about it. But once again, it's, it's showing how you are taking responsibility of your actions, your words, your thoughts, and saying, these do not agree with what I know is right, with what I know is in keeping 
with who I am called to be in Christ Jesus. And then notice the second line in verse 18, I am troubled by my sin. That's a key ingredient of you being able to assess if you're growing spiritually. Are you increasingly troubled, convicted when you sin? Not just that you're more sensitive to the sin in the world and the lives of those around you, but, but is that sensitivity increasing in your own heart and life? Because I would argue the longer you're a Christian, probably outwardly, more and more you're avoiding certain very blatant sinful actions where the sin tends to increase or escalate and where you become more aware of it is in your thoughts, in your heart, and even sometimes in your words. In other words, we're, we're realizing what many of the religious leaders didn't when Jesus said to them, it's, it's not, you know, it's not just that you don't do certain things, it's what's in your heart that makes you clean or unclean. Jesus was going deep on the definition of sin, just as David here is going deep when he owns it and confesses it. So the first step toward restoration as a Christian as you know, it affects your fellowship with God, is to own your sin and confess it on a daily basis. But there's a second step here, and that is daily ask God for a desire to hate sin and love God more. Daily ask God for a desire to hate sin and love God more. And so you see in verses nine and 10, David says, all my longings lie open to you. My sighing is not hidden from you. The word there for longings is all my desires, all, all my thoughts. We, we need to be honest at times and say, God, I'm attracted to this particular sin, and I don't want to be. Just like Paul said in Romans 7, I, I know the things I should do, and yet sometimes I do the exact opposite. And we need to say to God, God, give me a greater desire to hate that within myself, to, to hate that sin that is directly against your character and your word. And on the other side of that, give me a greater love for you, a greater desire to follow you, because you know my longings, you know my sighings. So daily own your sin and confess it. Daily ask God for a desire to hate sin. Not, not to just not want to do it. And I think sometimes we're too vague in that. You know, be like, well, God, help me today not to think this. Or help me today to do this. No, no pray that you would hate the opposite of what God desires. The book of Leviticus says basically hate sin, love God. And you could say that that's a great prayer to keep before us. But then there's a third and final step, and that is act on God's promises, not on your feelings. Because the reality is when we're dealing with sin, sometimes we don't feel like we've been forgiven after we've done steps one and two. 
And you might not have an immediate emotional feeling of joy, of peace. You might sometimes, but what do you do when you don't? Well, what you need to always do is act on God's promises that if you follow these steps and they're in accordance with what scripture teaches, he will forgive you in Christ Jesus. And the part of repentance here is that turning away from sin and turning to a greater degree toward God. And you see this clearly in Psalm 38, verse 15. I wait for you, O Lord. You will answer, O Lord, my God. Not, not I'm hoping you answer. Uh, I'll know you answer when I immediately feel better inside. I, I know you will answer. This, this is your promise to me. So I am confident and I will move and act proactively based on what I am certain you will do. And then you get to the end of the psalm, which again is a reminder in reading the psalms, always read the whole psalm. Because if you only read part of this psalm, you could leave it and be discouraged. You can leave it and say, look, I'm a sinner just like David. There's no hope for me. If David couldn't be redeemed or get out of this struggle, what's there in it for me? But you get to the end of the psalm and notice verses 21 and 22. Again, reminding God of his very promises. Oh, Lord, do not forsake me. And God said over and over again, I will never forsake you. Do not be far from me, O oh God, my God. Come quickly to help me, O oh Lord, my Savior. And there you have that final step. Act on the promises of God, on the word of God, not merely on how your emotions or feelings are at that moment. So that pretty much says to us, this is what it means to be a gospel-shaped life. To have a growing awareness of sin, and as we've said, to have a growing awareness of sin and a spirit of repentance. A.W. Pink is an interesting character, is an uh, 18th, 19th century Christian, uh, kind of a, a little bit of an unusual gentleman, uh, but demonstrated a love for God. But in related to sin in the Christian life, he said this, that it is not the absence of sin that is most important in the Christian's life. It is our grieving over sin that is the distinguishing mark of a child of God. It is not the absence of sin in the Christian life. It is the grieving over sin that is a distinguishing mark. In other words, saying exactly what we've said, the mark of a Christian is how do you respond to sin in your life? How quickly do you respond? What, what spirit of repentance where you're turning away from that and continually taking steps to turn towards God? And this reminds us the reason we're encouraged to do this is I'll have you turn with me. Turn to Hebrews chapter 4 and verses 14 through 16. Hebrews chapter 4 and verses 14 through 16. Here we are reminded we can do this because we have a great high priest in Jesus Christ. 
In other words, any excuse you might throw up, like, well, God won't listen to me. Uh, God is angry at me. How do I know? He'll not remain angry with me. Here, here's your answer. Verse 14, we read, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. And so there we are reminded, and, and we want to take an opportunity as I close us in prayer, realize repentance is something we all need to do now, but we also need to do this repeatedly throughout our day. Uh, so let me, let me pray, and let's pray together. Our gracious God, it is so easy at times uh, to hear a sermon, to read a scripture passage, and then not to apply it, uh, that we walk away from it, we momentarily maybe think about it, uh, but we quickly lose sight and get on with our day and other activities. And so I do ask that we would stop right now to apply what we have just heard, that we would take some time to confess unto you any attitudes, any areas of disobedience in our thoughts. Lord, actions that we have committed even this week, maybe this morning, even while possibly we've been having our Zoom worship. We have thought or we have done something that we know directly is a reproach to you. In the quietness of our hearts, may we admit it to you. May we own it and not excuse it, not blame our circumstances, not blame the fact that, well, not every Christian's perfect, to realize we have been called to Christ-likeness. Lord, if any of us is saying, well, there's nothing in my life, then we're reminded of 1 John 1, where it says, if we say we are without sin, we are calling you a liar. You know our longings. You know our desires. You know how often those do not line up with the word of God. But as we confess that, as we own it, Lord, thank you that we have a great high priest who has gone before us, who has promised to restore us, has promised to forgive us, has promised to give us grace that we would turn from what displeases you and turn and love the things that you love. And so do that work of repentance in us, not just now, because we're thinking about it, but I pray that your Holy Spirit this week would pound this into us, that any time our thoughts drift off, any times our words are sharp, any time our relationships remind us that things are not right in our relationship with you, 
that we would be so uncomfortable, we would be so troubled, like the psalmist was, that he knew he could do nothing else but come before you and have you set this right. Lord, as your people, we thank you that we worship a living God. And I do pray that this time of worship has renewed our trust, our confidence in you, that it has broadened our understanding <coughs> of our salvation and what it means to live a gospel-shaped life. And Lord, we pray for our communities, <coughs> for our governor as decisions are made as to pushing out that time to fully be able to meet together till uh, beginning of June, that we would be confident in knowing uh, that you are sovereign over all things, that you would use this time in our lives to bring us closer to you, to maybe cause us to re-examine and look at the issue of what is the church and what should the church be doing, as it is easy to get distracted at times with programs or activities that don't really pull us and challenge us to be Christ-like. Lord, help us to see that the coronavirus is ultimately a reminder of the effects of sin in our world. We're not saying that whoever gets it is not a Christian. We know that's not true. Christians have gotten it and have died from it and have gone into your glory. But we do understand that ultimately coronavirus reminds us that this is not how you created the world to be nor is it how the world will always be. Because in Christ, we know that there will be a new heaven and a new earth. <clears throat> but Lord, we pray that this virus would bring a renewed <clears throat> understanding in the lives of many about the frailty of life, about their need for a savior, that would raise many questions that as your children, we would be well-equipped to apply the scriptures to them, and that you would bring conversations with others into our lives in the days and even weeks to come, that we would be able to share our faith in a way that we were unable to before the reality of the virus uh, became a reality in the lives of many people's lives and thinking. Lord, as we pray for one another in the body of Christ this week, may we pray for conviction of sin, May we pray for true spirit of repentance in all of us. May we not just pray that we would have a good day. May we not just pray that we would be physically healthy. But as the psalmist said, may we pray that we would have soundness. That we would pray as we sung in worship that it is well. Not well with my body not necessarily well with my circumstances, but that it is well with my soul. And that is only possible when we have a growing awareness of sin and a true spirit of repentance. To these we plead that you would send upon each of us, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.